Do you have a tricky work problem that you need to solve? I have a great podcast recommendation for you featuring a pair of expert women. Whether you're just starting your career or a seasoned professional, check out Fixable, a podcast from TED. Hosted by Harvard professor Frances Fry and her wife, leadership coach Ann Morris, the brilliant duo provide honest, actionable advice to help you navigate everything from a gaslighting manager to returning to work after parental leave. They'll leave you feeling empowered and ready to act. Listen to Fixable wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, and welcome to the Boss Up Podcast, episode 196. Ooh, baby, we are creeping towards that 200 mark, and I am so delighted that you decided to join us audibly here. On today's podcast, we're diving into some subject matter that is considered a taboo topic, but that's so fundamental to being a woman at work. Today, we're talking about menstruation, maternity, and menopause, the three M's, and what that has to do with management research, with business and workplace studies that are happening right now to help ensure that businesses are being designed and run where all people can thrive. And joining me to break all this down and really help unravel why these topics are so taboo and why they maybe shouldn't be is Professor Allison S. Gabriel, who's an associate professor of management and organizations at the Eller College of Management and the University of Arizona. She earned her PhD in industrial and organizational psychology back in 2013, and her research focuses on emotions at work, employee recovery, interpersonal stressors and relationships at work, motivation, and employee well-being. So I think you can imagine why she and I get along so well. If her name sounds familiar, it's because she's a return guest to the podcast. I don't think I've ever done this before other than with Brad the Boo, but we were so delighted to hear about Allison's new research. We had to have her on on the podcast. You've previously heard her on the episode Mean Girls at Work, which is episode 76, so over 100 episodes ago, and we are delighted to have her back. Allison, I am so delighted to have you back. I think you're one of, other than my husband, I think you're one of the first people we've ever had back for a second episode on the podcast. Oh, that's exciting. So <laughs> I'm excited. Yeah, you sent us a great update for those listeners who may not completely recall out of our nearly 200 episodes now, Allison joined us uh, a year or two ago, probably last year, on a wonderful episode called How to Handle Mean Girls at Work, clicks and all kinds of social strife that comes with them, which you can check out on episode 76 in today's show notes. But Allison, you have done some new research now focusing more on what you call the three M's at work. So first, tell us a little bit about what these three M's stand for. Yeah. So over the last few years or so, I started getting really interested in broadly, you know, gender related issues, like you just mentioned. So kind of women's experiences at work with other women, but then building from that or actually kind of deviating wildly from that in some ways, I became really interested in how women's health enters the workplace. And so the three M's stand for menstruation, motherhood, and menopause. These are three things that 
all women definitely, you know, likely experience two of them. Some decide to uh, enter the motherhood phase as well. And just as a quick note, Mm -hmm. because I've been called in on this recently, I think we should also note that some men menstruate as well. So, you know, people who have their periods are included in today's conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, what really struck me and my co-authors as we started to think about these three M experiences was, uh, A, there wasn't a lot of research on this, you know, from the management organizational side. And then it also seemed like companies were starting to talk about this, but they were either missing the mark or not talking about it in the way we wanted to. They were talking about it more in terms of this is problematic. This is interfering with work. Whereas (laughs) our stance is, well, no, like, wouldn't it be more adaptive to design workplaces and spaces and policies that just help us work with our bodies versus against them. And that really, yeah, that really sparked this little stream of research we've had going over the last couple of years. Well, it's an interesting intersection, right? Between management research and health, right? because this, I mean, you call this in some of your papers taboo because these are taboo topics, talking about menstruation, motherhood and all things that maternity in related as well as menopause like these are not things that most employees want to talk about at work much less their bosses uh want to talk about so i guess my first question is why is this important to start talking about it like why does this matter why should we be tackling these kinds of taboo topics yeah so yeah i think you raise a number of good points my stance on why we need to be talking about this is because these are aspects of our lives that we cannot take out of the workplace. So whether right. you're menstruating, whether you are pregnant, whether you're breastfeeding, whether you're going through menopause, this aspect of your life comes necessarily into work. And so now we have this situation where you are sitting at your desk having to cope with this, oftentimes you know, in private, particularly for menstruation and menopause. Motherhood, there are varying you know, phases of when you can do or cope with this privately. And to me, that just was so interesting. We spend a lot of time talking about the intersection of work and family. And what we really mean when we talk about that is we say, oh, how does work interfere with you know your spouse or your kids or your elders that you're caring for? And we wanted to flip that around and say, well, wait a second. What about how work just intersects with your health? And these are things, you know, particularly menstruation, this is uh, unfortunately, recurring, right? This is something that people are going to experience repeatedly. For pregnancy, this can also be something that happens multiple times. And so these are, in some ways, these predictable fluctuations that people are going through. And the fact that we had no insight, that nobody was talking about this, really struck a chord with me. And then, with, like I said, with my co-authors that we started uh, kind of brainstorming with. That's awesome. Yeah. And like the taboo idea, it's so interesting because I do think organizations view this as taboo. But I think, you know, on our side as researchers, we also kind of dance around it. I remember the the first time I presented some of our work on breastfeeding, I also talked briefly about some of our research on menstruation. Uh, And as I was talking about it, I gave this preface of like, you know, I know this is kind of uncomfortable or awkward. And then I started talking about our research and this woman came up to me after and she's like, you know, I really like the study you talked about. 
but don't talk about this as awkward. It's not like, it's totally natural and it's fine. And it was this awesome light bulb moment of like, you're right. Like I'm also uncomfortable (laughs) and I need to, you know, lead into this. And why am I uncomfortable? I'm uncomfortable because I'm getting all these signals from, you know, organizations, from people in our studies, from people who I'm telling this research that it's not okay to talk about it. And it really should be. And let's make it better. I mean, there's entire industries, right, that have cropped up to feed into our discomfort with our own bodies. Correct. We as women have been, or period havers, right, have been conditioned to feel icky about our own natural body's rhythms, whether we're talking pregnancy, menopause, or just menstruation. And there's like entire, you know, summer's eve and related type products out there just to make us feel like we are somehow naturally gross. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think that's where a lot of the taboo stems from is that this is, you know, there are some cultures where these things are, you know, particularly menstruation are celebrated because it's your emergence into womanhood. But I think a lot of time, you know, particularly, you know, if we want to talk about like a US centric view, it's viewed as kind of disgusting. And, you know, I don't really want to talk about that. And there's this idea that, you know, to be an ideal worker, an ideal employee. It's somebody who is available 24-7, who is kind of robotic. You know, there's this great quote yeah. in the 1990s Acker and, and the research that says this. And you're like, oh, women or the three M's, anybody who's experiencing those violates that idea of an ideal worker. So yeah. now what do we do? What do we do with the fact that half of our workforce is technically not ideal by this unrealistic standard? <laughs> And I think the lack of research almost reflects the lack of policy on the both organizational and governmental level here. I was saying before we hit record how I've been doing a lot of lobbying and activist work here in Colorado with other members of the business community who are lobbying this session for paid family leave on the on the state level, which a dozen or so other states have already passed. And as you may know, right, America is the only mm-hmm. developed nation with no infrastructure of care for paid family leave, whether you're caring for a sick family member or welcoming in the birth of a new child. Um, And to me, it mirrors this confounding uh, problem, which is these are regular recurring, like somewhat predictable occurrences. How does our infrastructure at work just not allow for it or not even allow for the discussion of it, much less the support of it? So what would you say workplaces can do, right? I I don't want to jump around too much because I know you've got lots of policies and and recommendations, but for a company that doesn't even want to talk about this stuff, how do you begin becoming more open and friendly in addressing these issues of menstruation, motherhood, and, and, and menopause at work? Yeah. And and it's tough. Like you said, there's, we don't have great policy around this, uh, you know, at a national level. So then it kind of trickles down to states and organizations right. to make the call. And so I think something I've been talking a lot about when it comes to this research is that there's a difference between the policies that organizations decide to imp- uh, to create and then the implementation and what those policies mean and how they're conveyed to people. And what we're seeing across we have a few projects right now, like I said, on breastfeeding in particular, what we're seeing right now is that, you know, the formal policy 
to support breastfeeding mothers when they come back. And I use breastfeeding broadly to talk about, you know, women who are, you know, we, in our studies, we've had some women who say, I can actually get my child to work with me. Somebody brings their child and breastfeeding. It can be somebody who does a combination of breastfeeding and pumping of breast milk or just pumping. So what we've seen is that women, when they're talking about what organizations can do to support them, they'll say things like, yeah, it's great to have a space and they're mandated to have a space. Although organizations uh, interpret that wildly different. Uh, (laughs) Like a broom closet. Here's your broom closet space. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Some are like, here's a broom closet with fumes coming in from the furnace. Others are creating like beautiful, luxurious spaces. Um, But the biggest piece we've heard is just how co-workers in particular talk to women about their experiences. Um, So are you, when you know that you have a colleague who is breastfeeding and they're coming back to work, which is already going to be a really difficult transition for them as they juggle this newfound identity of being an employee and a mother, when you know that they're trying to breastfeed or pump at work, do you say things to them like, oh, go enjoy your extra break that you get, right? Which is something that would come up. Or are you saying like, yeah, go, like, go ahead. This is totally fine. You take your time. And what we're seeing really consistently, and I think this is a big point for organizations, is that it is these little social signals, these acts of compassion, these acts of support, uh, these acts that signal that, hey, this is a you know psychologically safe place to talk about what you're experiencing. All of those really consistently matter in our research, at least in terms of predicting how women feel at work, but then how balanced they feel like they are in terms of their ability to balance their work responsibilities and their identity as a mother as well. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. So I think we go right away to the, and I agree, I think we do need better policy, of course, but I think organizations jump right away. They're like, oh, this costs money. And our point is like, no, it doesn't cost money to be supportive. <laughs> and yeah, don't be a dick. Yeah, yeah there's, right? your, there's your bottom line research. Like you talk about like the small acts of compassion and all I can think about are small acts of aggression, right. right? Microaggressions against nursing people is just like so unnecessary. I can hardly even no. fathom what the hell is going through someone's mind if they were to say, oh yeah go enjoy your break, honey. Um, What? Right, exactly. As a hormonal person too. (laughs) I mean, I know your research says that like women who are flooded with hormones are not necessarily more moody, but I would probably sucker punch that person if they said that to me. No, it's true. And again, it's just, you know, yeah. I feel like it's a nice synopsis, by the way, that sums up my last podcast with you. Like, just don't be a jerk. Like, that's really all my research keeps saying over and over again. (laughs) Just be nice Uh, people. But yeah, and, and so I think that's interesting is just that, yeah, like, of course, it's great to have these perfect spaces and perfect policies. But if we can just create support systems in the organization, particularly amongst, you know, people's immediate work group, I think that's a big, a big help. Because, you know, when you're talking about women or individuals who are menstruating, you know, that runs the spectrum of people who have fairly normal menstrual cycles versus people who are really suffering from medical conditions tied to menstruation. And so, you know, when people kind of eye roll saying like, oh, is that really relevant? And I'm like, yeah, this is a serious health concern. These people should actually get allocated time (laughs) to, you know, at a minimum, at least work from home, have some flexibility so they can be productive in a way that works with what their body needs versus forcing them to stay at work. 
that's interesting. What I like about what you're saying is that one, it's beyond policy. We have to think beyond structural policies. Like, of course, having nursing rooms that are comfortable make a difference. Having lots of co-working spaces or providing menstruation stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know what else to call it. Like yeah. pads, tampons, whatever on site. But beyond the policy, you're saying interpersonal compassion goes a long way. And then my third question, I guess, is about perception. Mm -hmm. Because we all know, and your research reinforces this, if I'm reading it correctly, that there is a stigma and a perception of problematic nature that surrounds the three M's, right? Mm -hmm. So if there is this perception that women are distracted or less committed or less able mentally, physically, whatever, when they are experiencing any of these periods of their life, like, does it potentially backfire by asking for this kind of compassion? Do we risk messing with our perception? Because I know a lot of women who are like, I don't want my boss to know I'm on my period. I don't want him to think I'm not giving 100% today and I'm ready for that promotion. And I'm not going to get it because they think I can't handle it. You know what I mean? Like, how do you fi- walk that fine line? Yeah, no, and that's a really good question. And that's, um, you know, Alicia Grandy, who was my undergraduate honors advisor at Penn State way back in the day. And now we're getting to keep working together. She is like, to me, the one spearheading the discussion around menopause in particular. And that's been her stance of just, you know, is there ways that we can, are there ways that we can make this a really authentic discussion? And what does that look like? Um, We don't know the answer to that yet, which is frustrating. Um, And what's happening, I think, is that companies are trying to kind of take matters into their own hands of how to try to be supportive in ways that could backfire. So one really interesting story that just came up. So this was an article and I can send you a link to this so we can link it to the podcast. But in November 2019, there was a department store in Japan who actually was asking their female employees optionally, if they want to, to wear badges when they were menstruating. And the point they thought was, you know, it was meant to be worn optionally as this way to really evoke kind of sympathy and compassion and kind of give a very obvious signal of what this person was going through currently. But then, as you can imagine, there was also all this public outcry of like, no, you're just asking people to harass these women now. (laughs) Like they are being marked and branded. And so I, I think you see instances like that where companies are, we don't have great answers of how to facilitate these conversations yet there is awareness that this is a problem. And so you see these examples that where people are like, yeah, no, that's, that's not how to do it. <laughs> that's not the way to go. Yeah. It almost reminds me of conversations we've had here before about benevolent sexism, yes. right? Mm-hmm. The, oh, she can't handle this project right now. She wouldn't want this great assignment because she's pregnant. Yeah. She wouldn't want this great assignment because she's uh, taking care of her elderly parents. You know, we don't want to be the source of pity. No. So I'm, I'm trying to like figure out it is so I'm so not ambivalent, but just not clear on how I feel about these conversations at work. Like, should they be had? No, I know. <laughs> not to like call into question everything you're saying, but it's, it's confounding, you know, it is confounding. And I think the biggest thing that we need to kind of get out there is that when women 
are supported when they're going through these, at least, you know, for our work on breastfeeding. What we found was that when women reported that their experiences at breastfeeding were going really well for them, uh, they felt better and their progress on their work goals improved. So then they were actually, yeah, they were actually better on those days. And that was controlling in our analyses for the amount of time they spent pumping. So it wasn't... Okay, that's really huge. Yeah. And that was really cool to us because there was this concern, of course, of like, wow, the more time you pump or breastfeed away from your desk, the less time you're going to work. So the less productive you're going to be. And we were like, well, we can look at that. And when we control for all those things, it just didn't seem to matter. It seems to to reinforce the research around belonging, yeah. right? Like if you are in an environment where you feel safe, where you feel like you are belonging and you're supported and you're accepted, you're going to do more, right? You're going to produce more. You're going to be more effective. You're going to be more efficient. And so what you're saying is it's not just about time spent breastfeeding. It's about how engaged you are at work. Yeah. And how some women in our, our research, so it was a really fun study because we did interviews. So we actually got to talk to women and hear exactly what they had to say. And then we used that to inform a follow-up study where we actually tracked breastfeeding women for 15 work days. And what we found was that, yeah, some women said, you're right, breastfeeding, it's conflicting with my work in terms of time. There's a lot of strain because you know the location where I have to go do this is really far away. Um, I feel like I'm juggling too much. There was certainly that side of it that I, so I don't want to paint this perfectly rosy picture. <laughs> like there's certainly stress associated with something like this coming into work. But then there was also a, a lot of examples of women saying, actually, you know, when this goes well for me at work, I feel really accomplished. I feel successful. I feel fulfilled from this. So it was this cool, empowering moment for them. They were like, yeah, I can now draw on this and use it to improve my work experience. Um, use it to... We actually show that women pumped more breast milk at work. So for women wow. who are really focused on that, the relationship was positive. So I have a better experience breastfeeding. I feel better affectively. You know, I'm not as fatigued and depressed. And that allows me to make better progress on my work goals and better progress on my breastfeeding goals. So how many ounces of breast milk I'm bringing home at the end of the day. It's so reinforcing to like my underlying premise behind starting Bossed Up, which is that work, love, and wellness are connected. And when we feel good, we do good. And don't we all want our teams to feel that way and feel included and belonging like that? Exactly. It's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. So my question for you, Allison, one one more question for you is, first of all, congratulations. I hear you are eight months pregnant. You're super pregnant right now. I'm glad this is a podcast and not a a, a video version because the clothes don't fit anymore. (laughs) I love it. Well, I wonder how being in one of the M's that you're studying, right? Menstruation, maternity, and menopause. Like, how does being pregnant and experiencing this firsthand impact your? relationship to your research? Like what have, what have you learned from this process? I've learned that pregnancy is really hard. <laughs> <laughs> I feel, yeah. You know, I, uh, you know, it's, 
it was funny. So when I first started, and I was telling you the story before we started recording, but when I first started talking about this research on breastfeeding, people who didn't know me particularly well would always say like, oh, and how many kids do you have? They'd be like, no, I have cats. Like, I don't have kids. I'm just interested. Yeah. I didn't in- breastfeed my cats. Right, right. Yeah, <laughs> correction. Yeah, I did not breastfeed my cat. I did not plan to do that <laughs> for my cat, uh, for the baby. She can, if she would. <laughs> but, you know, people would always make that assumption. I'd be like, oh, no, like, I don't have kids. I just feel really strongly that, you know, we need to do better by women who are going through this breastfeeding experience, individuals who are going through these three M's. So now being on this side, it has given, uh, that's kind of the new comment I get from people who now know of this research since it's been published. They're like, oh, you must be really ready to breastfeed because I'm like, you're right. Cause I wrote this paper that is, <laughs> that has given me everything that I need to know about breastfeeding. You should write the book on breastfeeding at work. Honestly, I, know, no, I, I yeah. would buy that book. Exactly. Not that I'm breastfeeding yes. right now, <laughs> but for future. Yeah. But I think one thing of being pregnant and thinking about all this research on the three M's that we're starting to do and the question you had about authenticity. I think one thing it has made me do personally in my work and professional life is actually talk very openly and candidly about what I'm experiencing when I'm at work. Um, so I was um, fairly sick for the first 15, 16 weeks or so. Uh, and my colleagues and co-authors knew it. Uh, and I would talk about it and I didn't really regulate it down. I was just like, no, I'm here and I'm working, but like you have to be flexible with me because this is what I'm experiencing. And then I still delivered all the work and they'd be like, oh, you're still doing all these things and you feel like crap. And I'm like, exactly. Yeah. So in, cherish me. Yeah, no. <laughs> you're welcome. Yeah, right? But I think the broader point was like, yeah, like why can't we just have these authentic conversations? And what's been really yeah. positive for me is that, you know, my colleagues in my department here, my doctoral students, they've all been incredibly supportive. And they and part of it, I think, is because they've known what is going on. So they know, like, okay, we know how to help you in a way that you want to be helped. So not assume that like, you can't do these things. It's more of this is what we would like you to do. How can we make this happen? Right. So I, I think for me, what my wheels are spinning in terms of how can we better understand the struggles that individuals go through with, I'm talking a lot about women's health, of course, but obviously men also go through health issues or um, a variety of things. But how can we study those to understand, you know, the types of support that are helpful, the types of support that are unhelpful, right? Because there's just so much to be done there. Uh, and as someone who had to sit on the couch for like several weeks, like eating saltines, I was just like, God, there's got to be uh, better ways to support people through this. Uh, and luckily, I felt pretty that instantly makes me think of is just how this manifests across class, mm-hmm. because the kind of accommodations you just described, that is all we want for folks at every end of the employment spectrum, like hourly wage workers, frontline staff, like these are just humane accommodations. And I think the government is seriously failing women in this country by not making those more available. And frankly, around the world, I'm sure there's lots of room for improvement, but no, I am very well aware that the position I'm in and the, you know, the kind of job I have and the flexibility it affords, there are things that I can do that there were people in my studies that they can't do. Like they can't make the decision like, yeah, I've got to work from home today because 
I'm not convinced I can get off the couch. Um, and, <laughs> and I agree with you, like there's got to be better ways. And again, I think, unfortunately, this is where you see policy really playing a big role in what organizations are deciding to do. But yeah, but that's actually something we, we comment on in our paper. We recognize like, yeah, our samples and our research on breastfeeding, they are pretty homogenous, right? It was predominantly white women working in jobs that were fairly white collar. And what does it mean though for hourly employees or temps or people who are holding multiple jobs? What does this look like for them? How do they cobble together the support they need to make sure that they can, you know, fulfill their lives both inside and outside of work? Um, And that's a really big question that I, I think we are just starting to chip away at. And hopefully we continue to kind of pick away at that a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Well, if it feels like we haven't resolved this in 30 minutes on a podcast episode, that's why. <laughs> I know. I was like, oh, I, I wish we could fix this. But really, it's like a call to action. Like, this is the yeah. best. <laughs> it's really complicated. And the fact that we even get to talk about this on your podcast, I think is a positive sign that people are starting right. to think about this and pay attention. I mean, it's a workforce issue. It's not a women's issue. It's a workforce issue. And this is not one of my podcasts. It's like, here's a three-part bullet-pointed strategy for how to make this work for you. (laughs) This is a a burly question. I'm immersed in this one component of the paid family leave bill that's up for consideration here in Colorado is a bunch of employers because I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm a small business progressive activist. Right. So I'm in this business community of lobbyists. And a lot of these progressive business owners are saying, well, I don't know how to provide job protection for my employees who are taking leave. And I'm like, what? Right. <laughs> What's the point of maternity leave if you don't have a job when you are done. Like, what's the point? You know what I mean? So these questions are structural, they're organizational, how we can create solutions that can accommodate these workforce adaptations. It's really an undertaking for innovation. Um, And I'm sure there will be companies that crop up to solve these problems in addition to government, but my goodness, it is burly. Yeah, it is early. Luckily, there's a at least on our side, there's a crop of researchers who are just doing phenomenal research on, you know, pregnancy and motherhood. And we're starting to scream a little louder than we did before. Uh, and I think, I'm glad. Yeah. And, and I'm hopeful that kind of the louder we get, the more we can at least start getting out into companies, really put these messages out there. So people realize like, yeah, it's it's okay that people menstruate. It's okay that people go through hormonal fluctuations. That's not a problem. And we can be supportive of this in ways that are not, as you said, in ways that are not undermining of what people are capable of. Yeah. And in ways that we can talk to men about them. Yes. Because <laughs> this all gets more complicated when you have to talk to Brian about it. You know what I mean? I, know, someone, I swear like, it's not that scary. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> this all starts at home, ladies. It starts at home. We've got to, if you happen to share space with a man, yes. start telling him about your period. It's funny. It's like, we all know what's happening. <laughs> it's just, right. you know, we can, we're all adults here and it's okay. And it's not, yeah. And anything to be ashamed of. So I think the better we can even get just talking about these things, 
in a way that's our own truth, right? That we're not sending signals like, oh, this makes me uncomfortable to bring this up. I think that can really go a long way. One of my colleagues always jokes, he's like, I feel like I've learned a lot about pregnancy over the last few months because you just talk very bluntly about... You know, because someone will be like, how What's are happening? you? And I'll be like, I'll tell you how I am. Like, guess what happened? <laughs> You're like, I can't breathe. <laughs> I have a small foot in my lung. How yeah, are you? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so I think the more we do that, hopefully we can start at least creating, you know, work groups and organizational cultures that are realizing like, yeah, this is okay to talk about. And it's, it's it. going to be supportive and, and we can do this. And now let's take a moment to celebrate this week's boss move of the week. Hi, Emily. This is Lisa calling from Washington, D.C. I recently took a huge boss move and uh, going out on my own towards self-employment. I'm, of course, totally elated and absolutely terrified. And I think that bringing together an advisory committee is a great next step to continue to advise me throughout this crazy, exciting process. So I would love to hear more about that and what is the value proposition for them doing so. Thank you so much. All right, bosses, I want to hear from you. What did you think about today's conversation? We talked about a lot of taboo topics, a lot of complex challenges when it comes to handling the three M's at work. What is your take? You heard Allison and I kind of debate where we lay on these issues and how to move this conversation forward, but there are no clear right answers here. So I want to hear your stories. Where have you worked that has dealt with these issues Issues particularly well or particularly poorly? Have you seen great management in action when it comes to maternity issues like breastfeeding at work or menopause related issues like providing employees with cooling and fans if hot flashes are part of your reality at work? Have you seen employees do something particularly great around menstruation at work? I want to hear from you and I want to hear about innovative companies that are getting it right. Or if you feel like complaining. I want to hear about horror stories from companies that are getting it oh so wrong. Feel free to call in a response to this episode and leave us your message at the Bossed Up Podcast hotline, which as a reminder is 910-668-BOSS or 2677. While you're there, leave a question or a career conundrum you want us to unpack next on an upcoming episode or share your boss move of the week. We would love to feature your voice on an upcoming episode. If you found today's conversation helpful, make sure to take a moment to share it with those in your world who could use it and rate the Boss Up Podcast in Apple Podcasts or iTunes, wherever you're listening. Your feedback means the world to me and it helps us keep going and keep getting the word out about the Boss Up Pod. Thanks for listening. As always, let's keep bossing in pursuit of our purpose and together we'll lift as we climb.